Hi, my name's Joe Houghton, and this is the Plus One Podcast. I first met or saw um, Dr. Stephanie Dosher back in May this year um, when she was a keynote speaker at the um, UCD Intercultural Teaching and Learning Symposium um, in, in my hometown, Dublin. Um, Stephanie's official job title, now this is a bit of a mouthful, Director, Office of Collaborative Online International Learning at Florida International University, which I saw, I think yesterday or the day before, was awarded the 2021 Senator Paul Simon Award for Campus Internationalization. So you must be doing something right there, Stephanie. That's brilliant. Um, you also host the Making Global Learning Universal podcast which I think you've had about 20 odd episodes. You're in the end of your second season now. You've co-authored a book, um, Making Global Universal Learn Learning Universal. Um, and, and obviously we'll put links to everything in the, in the show notes. Um, I loved your LinkedIn banner. You describe yourself as educator, writer, speaker, leader. Yeah, which are really four very strong words, aren't they? And four fabulous roles. So let's go through those and, and decompose those over the next hour. You describe yourself as a girl who never studied abroad and is 100% Ashkenazi Jew, according to DNA, essentially the least travelled, least diverse person possible, grew up to devote her life to global learning and the process of connecting people and their ideas across borders of difference. Oh my goodness. Welcome to the podcast. I have so many questions lined up for you. <laughs> I hope I have the answers. <laughs> <laughs> cool beans. All right. Oh, wonderful. So, I mean, let, let's start with that then, because that's a really interesting description that you gave me in the questionnaire that I, I sent you before, before we do the podcast. So you mentioned your Jewish heritage at the start of that description that ends in this beautiful connecting people and their ideas across borders of difference. So presumably your Jewish heritage is important to you if you put that in there, but also this lovely thing about connection and, and across borders of difference. So let's start with that. Just talk, <laughs> talk to us about that, because I love that. I think it was brilliant. Well, I think I'm, in all honesty, still discovering what these things mean to me. Um, I, I don't know if it's so much the Judaism or my my Jewish history, although it might be there might be more there. I still need I still have more digging and discovering. But um, when I had that 23 and me, I'm not trying to plug it, but um, that was the, the the test that that I used to learn more about my my DNA. I was curious to know what what are the ingredients that make up this stew right yeah um i i expected that there would be some variety <laughs> right yes because we're mostly a mix aren't we we're all yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i thought that uh that that maybe explained why i am a connector okay in my personality in my cognitive uh disposition uh, and when I got the results and they said 100%, not 99.8, point. my sister was like 99.92% Ashkenazi with, uh, also with a mixed European hair, 100. I mean, my jaw dropped. I felt this disappointment to be like totally honest. Like I thought I'm so boring. <laughs> and, and so like pure, and I, it wasn't long before I had written this chapter, the process of which was really a growth space for me about diversity in, okay. in the book that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And then I see that I am the least diverse person on the inside <laughs> that I could possibly be. And I thought, okay, so I have to unpack this. Of course, I did talk to a friend who is a geneticist and I said, what is this? Is this even possible? And she said, oh, don't worry. They're always getting more information. More people are being tested. You'll get an email that your DNA has been reanalyzed and, and it will surely come back that there's something else in there. There's more information. So I got the email not long afterwards. And once again, it was 100%. So anyway, um, I, 
I then thought, as I have a tendency to do, um, what does this mean, right? Is there another way to look at this? Mm. And I thought, wait a minute, this might actually be really important evidence that one's educational background, uh, that, that education really can influence a world perspective and one's uh, knowledge and, and sense of placement in the world and in relation to others in the world. Because I also did not, did not ever study abroad. I didn't travel a lot as a child. I studied language a little bit by default. Miami was not as diverse a place as it, as it is now. I didn't have in my upbringing a lot of the ingredients that one usually says in our field yeah. makes a global citizen. And is Miami home? Is that where you were born and brought up? I was born in Atlanta, but that, wow. because my parents were briefly uh, gone, but I was actually, okay, this might be crazy, but I'm, I'm going to show you. I, my, my grandfather came in 1921 to mm -hmm. Miami Beach. Okay. This is actually uh, uh, a really lovely. large, it's behind my, but th this is my grandfather. Oh, that's lovely. On Christmas Day of 1921, I was walking through the airport, Miami International Airport. There was a, a display of um, photographs of, of Miami Beach in the 1920s. And I'm looking and there's my grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, uh, so we've been around here for a while, but... Um, but but the reason why I say that it was it, it, it I think I really do think it was education is that um, it, my teachers growing up, I do remember them definitely uh, exposing us to a lot of different perspectives, cultural perspectives, a lot of different thinkers talking about connection, um, generating ideas helped me feel that I was part of a, of a bigger world. Um, mm. And there is, there, so there's another story in there that has to do with FIU and, and global learning, which, which I'll tell you if you want to hear, but maybe after you ask some more follow-up <laughs> questions. <laughs> do you think the fact that Miami is kind of a coastal city affects this, this broader kind of view of the world because you you but almost by definition when you're on a coastal city yeah. or whatever the, there are visitors and there are you know ships coming in and there's there's almost more connection isn't there in a lot of coastal towns and cities yeah i i do think that that's the case it is a global crossroads um by the same token South Pacific, there's that amazing song, you've got to be carefully taught. And it's actually about, you know, to be to be biased, to be prejudiced. But it's it goes the same way on the opposite mm -hmm. side that you you have to learn to see where you are. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I definitely did not see Miami. I saw Miami when I was younger as like a, I felt like encased in a, in a prison, you know, I mean, like you feel like, Oh, I got to get out of this place. Yeah. Um, it's so this or so that. But I suspect <laughs> if you grew up in Dayton, Ohio, you'd feel exactly the same way, wouldn't you? Or, or, you yeah. know, Burnley in Lancashire or, or Dublin, totally. whatever it's wherever you've been for all your life is, is the, is the prison, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. You can't <laughs> see all the, diversity that's all around us because mm. us because a lot of it also is cognitive diversity that's yes. in that chapter right it's it's two people can look exactly alike but think totally differently or the opposite uh look very different and think very similarly mm. so there there are all these permutations and aspects of diversity that are around us all the time but it's like it's always uh opening up and flowering and more layers and um uh, and that's what our education and our experience should help us to uh to acquire uh the the agility to put on, to put on different lenses um the openness the curiosity uh i i think that education really 
is the, plays that most important role, whether that education is in a formal schooling setting or uh, a mentor, uh, yeah. a parent, mm. uh, so in your house of worship, someone that helps you um, realize that your way of seeing things is not the only way. Yes. And we can benefit by seeing things differently. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. I remember, I always remember, I can't, I must have been seven, something like that. I always remember a, t a maths teacher called Mr. Michelle. Oh. This, is, this is back in Leicester in the UK when I was seven. This is 50 years ago now. And I remember Mr. Michelle teaching me about long multiplication. And I never got it. And I was never any good at maths. I'm still no good at maths, but I can do long multiplication. Yeah. And he showed me tricks you know, the maths tricks to do long multiplication. Now, don't ask me to show you them now, but but he did. And I and I kind of, and it clicked and I got it. And I suddenly, and, and it was one of those first moments of realization that there was other ways of doing things and there were other ways of seeing things. And I just had to find people who could teach me that stuff. And I was seven and it's, yeah. and I'm still, I still remember that 50 years later. It was such yeah. a powerful moment. That's beautiful. And and so there's so you had the experience, but then there's the mindfulness of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. The making of meaning and saying, and, okay. And that putting things together that weren't there before and that the possibilities of the different connections that I could now maybe visualize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, so that's what drives me is is helping. Uh, higher education faculty uh, create experiences within their classrooms in which um, they can guide their students through the process of seeing things differently and yeah. becoming mindful of that and leaving with that bigger lesson, uh, with those bigger lessons of uh, curiosity, uh, yes, skills in connection making and idea, but that sense of uh, I have not just had an educational experience. I've had a transformational experience. I'm not the same person I was when I started this semester. No. And um, I mean, well, every class could be like that. Well, it, <laughs> it, we should. That's what we should aspire to, isn't it? This is educators. Yeah. Yeah. I go for like the golden ring. You know, what? If we're gonna do this, why? Why not? really go for it. Uh, yeah. It's not for everybody, but for those who want to, I think we know a lot about what can um, generate those kinds of transformations. I mean, good, good education. I mean, I say to my students, my job is to rewire your head. Oh, wow. Yeah. <gasps> and I mean, what no. I have in mind there is establish new ways of connecting ideas. I, want, yeah. I, I don't want you processing the world the same when you finished here as you do today yeah you know and, and whether that's project management or time management or leadership or team i don't care it doesn't actually matter does it the, the topic it's it's what you do with information and how you process people and knowledge and relationships and views and, and all that stuff yeah i totally agreed like the, okay. those all those disciplines are just like the vehicles yes. for <laughs> yeah. these yeah. different, yeah, human, human skills and, 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 uh, ways of knowing. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. cause, cause it, I guess I had never thought about it this way, but, but being a flexible person, being a, uh, a curious person, those are ways of knowing those, mm -hmm. those cause behaviors that either attract or help us process or help us go pursue information. Um, and so, so those, that's the, the really important stuff to, to leave every class with, unless you're going to be like a doctor yeah. or <laughs> yeah, so you a nurse. Kind of yeah. You need to know those specific yes. things. <laughs> um, but having just, um, you know, spent, uh, you know, a lot of time in, I spent recently some time in hospitals, not due to COVID, but to other, you know, family, th a person can know all of those th sciencey things, mm. 
But when it comes down to applying it with a real human being that is sitting right there in the chair and who needs, it's those other ways of knowing the curiosity, the empathy, the, mm. the agility, the flexibility that determine this, the health outcomes for the patient. Yes. Yes. It has to be a combination of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I came across a beautiful, wonderful TED talk by a guy called Julian Treasure recently and i don't know whether you've come across it but julian treasure um and it, it's all about active listening and and the five kind of key skills for listening and, and stuff like that but he said you know that, that we create our reality through our listening because what we let in and what we don't creates our reality and i thought that was really powerful i thought that was really profound um and it's it's, it's fabulous yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now what do we talk about? So now what do we talk about? Well, I'm going to go to your your two and four word description of yourself. So your two word description of yourself is connector, which we've touched on and we will continue, I think, to touch on. And I love the second one, firebrand. But I mean, it's, <laughs> you, you seem to want you you seem to want to light a fire, don't you? And that's yeah. what a firebrand is. I mean, it's a it's a flame. And you want to light that flame, don't you? And, and stuff, yeah, which yeah. is brilliant. So, so if we take the, your four descriptions, and, and the first one being educator, which is an interesting one to put first. So, where did how did you get to where you are now? You've done a doctorate. You've done lots of different stuff. You've written a book. You, but you've you know you hadn't done your traveling and stuff like that. So. Right. How did you, how, what's your journey and who are your seminal educational or other influences? Right. Oi. Well, <laughs> that's a little hard because I have this terrible memory. Like I, I, I was just talking about this with my father this, uh, this weekend that recall is not one of my, uh, it's not high on my cognitive skills because right. I have a tendency to just like have an experience and it goes in and then I can't remember the names, the dates. Oh, no. But in in general, I would say, and this is kind of the advice I'm giving my son and a couple of other people that I've talked to recently, follow your nose. Um, that is absolutely how I got to where I am. Because if, if I looked back, I could, yeah. I could say all, every experience that I had folded into every other experience and connected here, da, 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 da. but the, tr the honest truth is that I never had a plan. Really? So, you mean when you were five, you didn't kind of say to mom and dad, like, I want to be, you know, the director of the Office of right. Online Internal. <laughs> Man, if you had asked me a year ago, uh, well, maybe a little bit more than a year ago now, but like two years ago, right? I would just, uh, it was, it was a little bit of a dream, but it wasn't, I don't know, it was a plan. When I was little, yes, I did like to play teacher, but I started, my my passion was also in theater, which may not right. be too much. Well, I, 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 there's a connection there. There's a performance yeah. and there's, there's the outgoing communicator. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. So <laughs> when I uh, graduated university, well, the night before I, I formally walked and graduated university, I had a panic attack. I ended up in the emergency room. I couldn't breathe. I uh, had no plan. I mean, I, I literally had no plan. I had, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. My parents, when I was in uni, always asked me, how are you feeling? Like, what did you do this weekend? My grandfather had this great question. He would ask me on Sundays when we talked, are you enjoying life? Nobody asked me, how are you going to feed yourself? Right. Mm -hmm. Like how, it was an assumption. Oh, she's always been high functioning. She's always seemed like she has a plan. She must have a plan now. Yeah. And um, I didn't. I, I, I had a major in history and, and, a, and a double major in, in theater studies. And I had a summer internship gig in a theater and no plan beyond that. <laughs> and I started to realize, oh yeah, everybody else I'm graduating with, they seem to have like a job or something. Um, 
So I, so I did that. I started following my nose. I, I, I worked in theaters. I, I did um, the first year of an, of a, of an MFA and, in, and, and, and earned a place um, in a very selective and incredible uh, theater program. Uh, Trinity. MFA? Uh, it was an MFA. I, it, an in MFA. The, I oh, that. Masters in Fine Arts. Masters ah, okay. in Fine Arts. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And it was at this like amazing theater Trinity repertory in, in, in Providence, Rhode Island, and this incredible director, Ann Bogart. And there was just a few of us who got accepted. And I mean, it was really yeah. a big deal. And I thought, okay, now this is going to be it. And, um, uh, and then everything fell apart when I was driving across country and getting away from it for the summer. And, and I had this idea of maybe I won't go back. And I didn't, right. I, I didn't, I didn't go back. I instead started to work as a, in a, in a Montessori school and in a grocery store. And it, oh, wow. Well, Montessori is an amazing kind of, I mean, she was incredible, wasn't she? Yeah. Yes. So I will say that the philosophy of Maria Montessori mm. and Janice, that the, the master teacher with whom I worked, uh, worked its magic. And yeah. I started to uh, connect personally, I think, also with the profession and think about how the aha experience had always driven me throughout school. I'm, I'm an intellectual person. I love to have like those sparks of ideas. Mm. Um, and it started to feel like you didn't have to pay me to facilitate this in these three to five-year-olds. Like mm -hmm. I could just see it right there with their, and that's when I said, okay, I'm going to just follow my nose again and, yes. and get a teaching degree and a master's in, in secondary education, which that was, it was just by virtue of context it, um, and started teaching. And next thing, you know, um, I am, let's say, let's fast forward to 2008. Okay. And um, I was I was teaching I was working on my doctoral degree in educational leadership, and I uh, experienced three very intense losses of, of people in my life, right. like the closest my three closest people within two months of each other, just oh. snatched. And it and as it was at the end of the school year, and I was thinking like with the theater situation, I can't go back into the classroom. I don't think I have what it takes to give to these kids. I just don't, I'm depressed and I don't, I don't have it. <clears throat> and um, my then colleague, co-author, teacher, mentor, dissertation advisor, all these different, she uh, said, I've been invited to lead this project at FIU, Florida International University called about internationalizing the international university. That was what it was called. And she said, it's really important because it's part of our reaccreditation process. So very, very, very high stakes. Yeah. I'd yeah. never worked in higher mm -hmm. education before. I really kind of had no idea what she was asking me to do, but absolutely sure, <laughs> you know, because you I were knew ready I for a, you were ready for a, a change, weren't you? Because what, I mean, I remember when my my first wife died, um, just kind of two thousand around two thousand, and it was the same thing. I mean, when you go through a seminal life change like that, everything moves, doesn't it? And and you're open to new, very much open to new. And and I think that would be mm. a, a fast forwarding, yeah, really to now, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So so here we are in this global existential crisis. Hmm. And um, before the, the pandemic, I had been working in this space of collaborative online international learning since 2016. Okay. And it, it, it is a global learning intervention as we define it, as Hillary and I have, have developed a definition of what that process is. Okay. And so it was just one of many things I was doing, but I became more and more passionate about its power and 
but the world was like, why, why we want to go, we want to go to the place. Of course we want to go to the places, but I guess, but you don't have to go to the places to have a transformational experience and global learning for all is our value. So I want this to be part of our or menu of opportunities for global learning experiences for our students. And did, they get, did they get that pre-COVID or, or really has COVID lit this up? Well, um, no, people didn't get it. Very few people got really? it. Very, very few people got it. And I always share this book. I have it right next to me all the time. This is a woman named Doreen Stark Meyering. Oh, she yes. Was, I've got this in the in the show notes. Yeah. The late Doreen Stark Meyering. She was at McGill and she talked about globally networked learning environments. And and um, what I what I came to understand is that COIL is like it has a unique power because you remain embedded in your own cultural context and you still have to meet this the other people in this third space and it is a designed experience yeah. that is based on equal power collaboration complementarity knowledge creation whereas sometimes our study abroad experiences they're transformational perhaps for different reasons they're not necessarily as finely designed and so so some people got it mm. but in terms of like a broad Spectrum of people, no, because it was seen as um, well. If they do this online, why will they want to go abroad? And we already spend so f- send so few students abroad. Um, and then I think people are also passionate about the thing that transformed them in this field of international education. And for most of us, it's travel. Yes. But but because I didn't have that, I was more open mm. to. There's other ways to. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Of course. I'm, and, and it's interesting because I mean, when I heard you speak, uh, and, uh, and I pinged you during the when you were doing your speech, you didn't did. I? Um, I did, and uh, and kind of the day after, I kind of you know went onto the the, the Coil website, <laughs> which is this, the Collaborative Online International Learning website right. in Florida. Um, so I'm really looking forward to exploring this program with you, and and hopefully connecting. I know I got to find you a match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so 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 we're gonna we're gonna be looking at that kind of in much more detail as we go through. But I mean, it's that's an exciting opportunity, both for me as an educator to kind of learn from you who've kind of already done this and, and know what to do. But also, it's really exciting, I think, for my students potentially to connect with students in different countries in a, in a structured way to to enhance their learning journey, which which would be. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. Definitely. Definitely. Cool. So you've so so edu- so that's kind of the education journey. Writer. Mm. So you got a book. I mean, yeah. if I have a look at your LinkedIn profile, you've got a lot of publications as well. Um, you've done, not as much as like other people. Well, maybe not, but I mean, <laughs> you've got more than a handful, um, certainly. So, what's 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 about writing? I mean, why why do you enjoy it? Um, and what do you think is your most insightful or important piece? If you if you know if you could just be remembered for one piece of writing that you've done what do you think it would be (laughs) oh there's a tough one isn't it yeah Yeah. (laughs) and obviously tell us about the book because because uh because you know that's obviously a big thing to do that was that's a big thing um and i would have to say that because Yeah, I'd have to say that. Um, and tell us, so this is this book okay. called Making Global Learning Universal. Universal, yeah. Uh, and you wrote it with what, Hilary Landorf and Jeffers Hardrick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, so why writing? Well, I do love that process of discovering, of discovery through writing. Yeah, okay. so, um, so, and... I'm itching to have more time. I have you know, such a long list of things I want to write about. And, and, uh, uh, but it's, it is that process of discovery, but also um, 
I, I don't like the, I, I really don't love the, the, the drafting part. I love the editing part, especially. So it's the refining of the thinking and the, and the taking away the words and the focusing of the ideas and finding a, a structure that will get down to the fundamentals of the thoughts, the leanest, meanest way to say the thing. I'm a very process oriented person. So I'm always looking for some way to convey the idea that kind of hacks into the thinking. And, and really when I write, I don't want to write to share uh, so much information as to help people think differently about the thing. Right. So it's more about the ideas, mm -hmm. just making those new connections and putting an idea out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not about what to think, but how to think that's, that's uh, what I'm more interested in. So I, I want to share, uh, I want to share ideas about process. So thinking about partnerships in, in a different way or internationalization, thinking about what is curriculum internationalization in a different way. Thinking about this term global learning, what is global, what is collaboration, yeah. it, really getting into the, so that others can decide for, can make the ideas and produce the knowledge they want for themselves or the outcomes in their institution, the leadership outcomes. So I like um, also particularly taking um, ideas from different disciplines and yes. applying it to education and to leadership. That's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite thing. That, that's <laughs> wonderful when you can do that. Absolutely. That is pretty much my writing style. Mm. And so mm. in terms of the book, um, taking uh, the concept of uh, collective impact from from social change theory and applying it to educational leadership, mm -hmm. taking Scott Page's ideas about how diverse teams work. He's an economist and applying it to diversity, inclusion, and, and equity uh, in education. Um, it, that's the sort of stuff that I really love doing and finding really impactful metaphors that the mapping idea for introducing the the book and then um in the professional development chapter looking at diffusion of innovations theory throwing mm -hmm. that in there right so all of all of those uh connection making discovering learning that struggle i really i really like that <laughs> I, i'm looking forward to the kind of second half of the summer where i've recorded all these podcasts yeah. And and then I go back to the transcripts and start to extract, if you like, the different nuggets and the ideas, which will be the second half of the book. So the first half of the book is going to be like edited transcripts. The, the, the second half of the book is going to be like, right, let's take some of these strands now and open them up and, and have a look at them a little bit more and, you know, point people at resources and, and stuff like that. And... You know, I get to talk to you and I get to talk. I've just edited Linda Yang's episode, which is going up tomorrow, wow. uh, which will be a lovely segue. The two of your episodes will follow each other. So that'll, that'll be fantastic. But I mean, so many different viewpoints and different thoughts, even in just like 10 weeks of interviews. Um, I'm I'm feeling very blessed by this project at the moment. Um, <laughs> fantastic. So I mean, I love I love the way you describe the writing process because it sounds to me as though the writing process kind of informs you as an educator as well. You, it's very much a, a kind of cyclic, virtuous circle. Yeah, and it it is. Um... So that connecting where I'm looking for different perspectives from authors to be able to apply and then take these two previously completely disconnected ideas and take pieces of them to create a third idea, right? It's that super additivity of diversity that comes from Scott Page. That is also the essence of what global learning is all about. Yeah. And I say all the time that it's a process that demands others. Mm. But when we get to 
and I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not saying this, like say, like I'm at a higher level of thinking, but our goal is to enable people within themselves to do that kind of writ small. So the process we, so we say that global learning isn't so much what you learn, different languages, area studies, world history, or where you learn that you have to study in a different country or in a different institution, but it's how we learn that it's a process that engages diverse people. And we use the term diversity as broad as you can imagine it. They're all their diverse perspectives, cognitive, gender-based, disciplinary, all of it, even time, like historical and future. Different, just different. Yeah, the whole just different, yeah. So a process that engages, that involves diverse people collaboratively. So it's that idea that, okay, we all hold a piece of the puzzle or we're all touching a different part of the elephant in the Indian aphorism. That's right, yeah. Yeah, we all have to bring it um, together. So to analyze, to understand its component part and then to address. And we use address because addressing means a lot of different things in terms of action. So global yes. It could be a solution. It yeah. could be a, a just a movement. It could be a new idea. So it's a process that involve, that engages diverse people in collaborative efforts to understand, analyze, and address complex problems that transcend borders. And so complex is key yeah. because it means that these are questions or problems that cannot be understood by one person perspective. These are the wicked, these are the wicked problems. Totally. But, but they can be wicked, but even they, but they don't, but they can also be high, very, very local. Right. Yeah. They don't have to be like sustainable development goal. They could be wicked problems within our lives mm. um, that are, that are complex. Um, and the idea that it transcends borders is the fact that, it transcends borders of perspective, but it also has differential impacts on different people. Mm. And so that's kind of the social justice aspect of global learning in that um, we acknowledge that the way we understand, but also the way we're influenced by an issue differs by each individual. And so in order to create a sustainable and equitable solution, we have to understand the way the different ways that people are impacted mm. by these problems. Um, that is not, and, and, and in terms of making global learning universal, it's this idea that all people, this is, it's not should, or that this is what education is. <laughs> right? like, like, I mean, to me, global learning is education. It's not uh, an add-on. It's not like it. It's the way education has to be <laughs> for <Yeah>. all, <laughs> all the time. So it is an inherent understanding that I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to be a truly learned person sitting in my office and and just reading books. I've right? got to connect. Well, I got to connect with other people. I got to dialogue. Yeah. I got to connect outside of my brain. That's brilliant. And I mean, and and Zoom has been fantastic for that, hasn't it? (laughs) I mean, before we started the podcast, we were kind of just chatting. And and I think you said kind of that you feel that you've connected with more people. I know I have. Post-COVID kind of through through this little camera that we're we're staring into. it's been amazing, hasn't it? And I mean, that's yeah. how we connected. I mean, you were you were talking to UCD. Um, it's my mission. I mean, global learning is my mission. So nothing's going to stop me from figuring out a way to facilitate this process and helping others facilitate it. It can happen in the classroom with the, just the students that are enrolled in my class. It can happen in a study abroad. It can happen in the community. It can happen online. It can happen in a, it can happen. It's just a process. It is it is modality agnostic. Yeah, and you're you're employing multiple modalities, aren't you? So you're you're in the classroom, you're you're running this coil program. 
which I'm still really interested. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that next. You're doing you're doing the podcast. You've the written book. That. You write articles. You speak. So so all these different modalities you're you're employing to to get the message because yeah. you're yeah. you're effectively an evangelist for this, aren't you? You're you love this. You, <laughs> this is like <laughs> you're not. I doing, do. You're not doing this because of the paycheck, are you? Kind of because uh -uh. what, what somebody's paying you to do. This is this is kind of coming from in here. I'll give you my PayPal. So I mean, FIU is is where you are situated. But you're also a member of a number of other organizations as well. So yeah. tell us about some of them and why we should be interested and which ones kind of should we look at more closely, perhaps? Or, you know, if, if this kind of thing that you've been talking about for the last 40 minutes or so is really, <laughs> is ringing bells in people's heads. Yeah. You know, what what what, what other organizations are, are there out there that we could join or that we could look at that would you know, maybe plug us in a bit more to this. Stuff. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of internationalization and mm. people around the world who are really, who really want to talk about this stuff, about how do we um, develop educational pathways or, or, or ways for our students to, um, ways to connect people in their ideas. That's yeah. what, the way I say it. Yeah. Um, you know, we have NAFSA, we have um, the International Education Association, that's the, the organization that gave us the that fancy award, the Paul Simon. Mm, the Paul um, Simon Award, yeah. It's an institution that is itself evolving. Um, mm. I would say that all of the organizations that I'm part of, AIEA, uh, with the Association of International Education um, Administrators, EAIE, there's URI, I mean, th like all of these international networks, international mm. education networks started in traditional mobility, people going and coming, right? Yeah. And dual degree, uh, this, these sorts of things. Um, and all of them are in this space of evolution. Okay. All of everybody, because everybody. we can't do that work that we did before no. we want to go back to being able to do it but we want to do it better yeah and we we know we have not been able to move the dial on study abroad in decades really mm. yes. right yeah and so how can we achieve these goals there is a piece that i wrote um or in the pan earlier in the pandemic. And it was, I think it was that one. Uh, I think it, I'll, I'll find it and give you Dig the it out and I'll put it. Yeah, in yeah, <laughs> exactly. Through it in the show notes. Yeah. 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 But it's really about why we internationalize. Actually, it was from before the pandemic. Okay. It, it was before because uh, people, what is internationalization? There's this idea, it's the infusion of international aspects to all of these different uh, business parts of our business model as an institution, okay. uh, whether it's the teaching and learning or, or the professional development or the research, things like that. But isn't there a bigger why, like a deeper why? Mm -hmm. And for me, there is this, uh, and this is a, probably a good segue to go into talking about COIL there's a definition of internationalization that comes from uh, a gentleman at INSEED. Yes. So business and from, his name is Gabriel Hawawini. And he, he says, it's about connecting the institution and the people in it to the world's knowledge exchange and production network. Ooh. That's what internationalization is. Okay. It's about okay. both receiving information but it's also about contributing to the network and yeah, making it it's thicker. A cycle. Yeah, totally. Hmm. We are the, our institution is already internationalized in some way because we are part of the network. But some of us are either building walls or just not seeing the connections, mm -hmm. and others of us are saying, 
we want to get as many ways to connect our institution and the people in it as possible. And we're going to have to create some new business models to, to figure out how to do that. And why? Because that is the mission of higher education to create and produce new knowledge. So if we're not internationalizing, we are not doing our jobs as higher education. So let's segue into COIL then. Okay. Okay. So so you're in this part of the university now where the mission is to make these linkages and and stuff. And and I'm teaching a program in Dublin in Ireland, okay, with postgrad students who want to learn about project management. So what what can my students hope to get from connecting with COIL? Yeah, yeah, this is good because I wanted to talk to you about your profile. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking for a match right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We will see how the, the, the honey is made. And I mean, you know, because, because I mean, take me as kind of like, you know, an exemplar of somebody oh. else out there who might be interested in doing the same thing, you know, who might okay. be interested in signing up their students with coils. So, so why first... in it for us and what, what's, what's in it for you and, and how do we, what, what's the process and, you know, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So the very first thing I'm going to ask you is, okay, you said that your students are working in project management. Mm. Is there uh, a, a a question, a challenge, um, a topic that's really hot, that's really important for your students, like a big takeaway that you really want your students to get out of? I mean, certainly an emerging trend in the last couple of years in the last three or four years, particularly, is is sustainability. Right. And and sustainable project management, doing projects right, doing them in an ethically right way, doing them in a sustainable way from terms of supply chain, in terms of materials, in terms all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the very practical stuff of procurement and, and supply chain and, and um, legal uh, and, and all these kind of things, which which perhaps might be to some perceived as, if you like, the, 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 the more boring kind of bits of project management rather mm-hmm. than the communication and the soft skills and all the rest of it. But doing that right and doing that with an eye to, you know, sustainability and global citizenship and, and green issues and, and, and all that kind of stuff, that would be a big one. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, well, you, do you know everything about the environment and ethics? <laughs> like, oh. um, I'm um, like, dude, you think too much. That's a short answer. Yeah, it's a two-word <laughs> answer, that one. <laughs> Two-letter two, two answer. You probably no, no. Okay, well, that's good. Of course you don't. Like, okay. Of course you don't. And 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 is that's good that you don't know everything because then you wouldn't know as much about the stuff that you know about. <laughs> I don't know everything about anything, let alone. Exactly. That. <laughs> well, that's the way I feel more and more too. Um, okay, so supply chain, uh, environmental impacts, ethics, uh, legal impact, like all that stuff. So, um, so there are probably even cases. Yeah. That you could even like describe like a case where that's do, do students look at cases in your course yeah i mean we use cases but but, do. but i'm trying to point students as much as i can away mm-hmm. from if you like classic written case study analysis to more experiential learning ah. so i mean we they have two major assignments one with a charity and one with a, a local company where they actually do a piece of work with the charity or the piece or the local company and stuff. Um, so I, I'm, I wouldn't be looking specifically for kind of like an academic case study assignment. Yeah. I'm trying to kind of make it a little bit more real than yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so um, theoretically, you, uh, you could actually have your students work with a client almost. Absolutely. Yeah. We already do. You already do. Okay. And that client could be anywhere in the world. Could be anywhere in the world. Okay. So, so the way coil works is that um, you get two or more teachers 
who are working with two or more <laughs> cohorts of students, groups yes. of students. And those two teachers, let's just say, well, let's just keep it as bilateral in the simplest form right now. Those two teachers will say, where is there a space that our courses kind of overlap, both yeah. in terms of the calendar, like four to eight weeks, mm -hmm. but also in terms of our mutual interest in a particular topic. Yes. Right. Yeah. And sometimes those teachers teach the same subject. Like you could find another professor of project management, say in, I don't know, like is, is our Irish businesses or even Irish charities are there certain connections with certain parts of the world, like maybe in terms of um, labor in Ireland that's coming from this particular part of the world, or there's multinational businesses that have. Oh, definitely. Oh yeah. Lots okay. of that. Yes. Like it could be Latin America. It could be Africa. I mean, one of the student teams did a, did a piece on um, a, a, an Irish fabricator company mm -hmm. in the middle of Ireland uh, mm -hmm. who are now supplying into Costa Rica. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. Right the again. former president of Costa Rica is works at my university. Right. So, <laughs> so that's interesting because mm. we could use him as, as, as a, as a potential connector. So that's it. So theoretically, so you could work theoretically with another project management professor in Costa Rica, where you could take a look at a, a multinational or yeah. from kind that's of that. Right. Or a company wanting to set up in Costa Rica and how that happened. And that's what, that's what the student team did actually yeah yeah you yeah. could even look at parallel case studies yes. right where oh, you could yeah. have we something could have three or four teams working on this and kind of working on different or similar kind of yeah areas like and that. theoretically i'm this is again this is theoretically because i do not know no your field i'm <laughs> like a five-year-old i heard you say environmental ethical legal you it could be actually a professor in Costa Rica of law students or of um, like environmental science students yeah. who would look at that same case and kind of unpack it from that. That's so, right. so, okay. So, and it could be like a decision forcing case where the students would have to, would bring their, their uh, it could be a marketing. It could be a marketing class who, who, you know, how do we do a product launch into a new geography? Yeah, you, you could study a third space. So you could yeah. have the Costa Rica and the students yeah. in Ireland. Look at okay, that's coil. So my job now would be to help you find that match. Someone so you, who is you're a, you're a matchmaker, are you? Totally. That's what I have to do is my job. That's like <laughs> that is my favorite part of my job. So uh, there are a lot of romance metaphor aspects yeah. with. Okay. So, so my job now would be to cast the net and see how can I find Joe, someone who is equally as interested in these, these issues and has maybe a little bit of the same kind of mindset and, and who you hit it off with personally, mm. right? Because it yeah. is a personal relationship. That's right. Because you're going to work together and there's going to be ups and downs and Totally. To get rid, get through, and yeah, all of the rest of it. Yeah. Totally. And mm -hmm. you might have someone that you already know that someone from grad school or someone from someone that you want to just reach out to on your own who's in your professional organization or something. But also, you may say, I, I don't want to pivot that existing relationship. Just mm -hmm. go ahead and find me, find me a match. Definitely. And I mean, the whole, the whole fun bit of this is. One, I'm making contact with you and your people, and, and I'm making new connections. Exactly. Exactly. This stuff is just as transformational for the professors, if maybe even more so, oh, yeah. than it is for students. Oh, Global learning that. is the same way, mm. but it's but it's very intercultural, right? So um so I would look for a match, I would introduce you, you would maybe chat a little bit via email then we have a meeting we talk a little bit we say what's when might you want to do this when might you want to do this what are our calendars linguistic like those basic things yeah and then you would say we're a match right and we say we want to do this yeah okay this is when the pedal hit to the metal or the rubber yeah. hits the road because now there must be some kind of a framework there must be some something that you've done now that that we can do this properly 
kind yes. of and what are the learning outcomes and what are the how do we run this properly yeah absolutely um there are extremely hip faculty out there who this is in their genes this is in your blood and they're just like oh they can look at something on a piece of paper and say we can do that yeah but the vast majority even those that that can do it and have done it and they've done a pretty good job but they hit some speed bumps that could be avoided if um, or lessened yes. or coped with better with some professional development. And you've got, and, a, protoc- you've got a protocol. You've got a totally. Got, yeah. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Just the, the, just the skeleton, the skeleton you the yeah. put on all of the, yeah, the, it, so, um, so the fundamentals are that a great coil is going to have ice breaking experiences so the students are, are because these are strangers, just like yeah, you and right. this other partner. And they don't trust each other and they don't know each other and they're from different institutions and totally. you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Of course, after COIL faculty do icebreakers for the first time and in the professional development training that, that we do, um, it's, it is run as a COIL. So the faculty go through the same experience as their okay. students. And this is, your, this is your plus one as well, isn't it? So what you yes. icebreakers is your plus one. So tell us about icebreakers and why they're Exactly, important. exactly. They, they say, oh my gosh, I have to do this in all the courses. Like, how can I not do this in everything that I do, mm. even if it's not COILed? They say, so that's cool. So, um, so first there's the icebreaker experiences. And those are everything from what is your name to starting to, and how do you pronounce it properly? Yes. That's important. <laughs> um, and, I, and I meant to ask you about yours. Cause I, I said Dosha and I don't know whether you it's said Dosha it perfectly or Dosha. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you did it perfectly. So, um, so what is your name and how do you pronounce it to what does your name mean? Yes. Right. How, do you do you think your name properly fits you? Like you can go deeper and deeper and deeper into perspective. Mm-hmm. So developing some icebreaker experiences that usually have nothing to do with the content, but can lead into that mm-hmm. do lead into the collaborative experience. So then there's the collaborative task. And it really has to be a task where both sides or all the sides are of equal power, yes. of equal contributions. And that takes some design chops. Mm. Uh, so in the workshop, uh, we talk about how do you design collaboration? It, collaboration does not happen by default. It happens by design. Yes. We get teams. We, we, we say, you're on a team. You're in a group. Here's your assignment. Well, you start a group, but you've got to form a team, haven't you? Because it's a that's the forming, storming. You got to do that. (laughs) Totally. You got to do that. But also, or and also, there's um, the design of the task. Yeah. And the directions we give our students. Mm -hmm. And And how is it achievable? And and if if they break down, how do they recover? And and even deeper. So. Is the task something that does require everyone? And then how are ideas exchanged and then connected? Yeah. So if we say, just make a six slide PowerPoint, then there's nothing in that direction that guides students to bring their different ideas to the table and then connect them to create something such that at the end, if the professor said, who did that? People go, uh, well, I kind of first did this and then they did that and then they did that. That's when, you know, collaboration happened. Yes. Right? Yes. So, you don't want kind of Ted did slide one and Sue did slide two. And no, because then it's just bolted together and it's you no. Know. And that's not to say that communication and cooperation divide and conquer aren't part of collaboration, they are, but there's this next step. So in the training, we talk about different recipes, if you will, for, for, for designing that. And then the most important thing, and we talked about this earlier, is that mindfulness aspect. So reflecting, because yes. the learning happens in the reflection. Oh, always. I, I always have a reflection at the end of almost every module a reflective piece even if it's only just a few percent so it's, you're it's, it's like in your blood already it's, yeah <laughs> oh this is this is going to be brilliant so it's just little tweaks 
we're definitely yeah. gonna have to gonna have to explore this further stephanie i'm I, i'm conscious that we're we're kind of up on our I know. almost i have i have a couple more little questions and then then we'll wrap up sure your next step in your continuing professional development is is cita cita international yeah tell us um, about them what, what's what's well, Thank you. Um, I uh, yeah. Th no, thank you for for uh, for being patient with my interruptions because I they they call that 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 is they call that collaborative overlapping. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a nice way to say interrupting. But and and people of the Jewish uh, or 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 Middle Eastern, Middle Europe uh, persuasion, we tend to collaboratively overlap a lot. Right. Yeah. New York, yeah. 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 It's terrible. Um, uh, CITAR. So, or CITAR, I, I might be mispronouncing it. I think EI is I, isn't it? CITAR. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to, I so. I'm just discovering this organization. Right. And they are a global organization that has different chapters and provide professional development and training around interculturality. Ooh. And I'm interested in, I'm, I'm just kind of digging in, taking, taking advantage of the offerings that are um, very affordable. It's one of the, the sources. Um, I didn't talk that much earlier about like the sources, the people that I um, really go to in, in the podcast in my podcast, the hmm. second season um, is a is a an interview with a woman named Tara Harvey, who has okay. an organization called True North Intercultural. And there's also another um, interview with a, a gentleman who focuses on intergroup dialogue. So I'm really looking I'm trying to learn more about different dialogic forms and how, what I can offer to faculty in that training that is very like small, but powerful because faculty are overwhelmed, yes. overwhelmed, yeah. overwhelmed. So it has got to be one like super atomic explosion idea hmm. that they can apply. Not, yes. They can apply. They can go and use and apply. Yeah. I cannot teach every faculty, everything about mm -hmm. intercultural. I can't learn it all. No. So I'm looking for those small, incredibly powerful ideas to offer to them. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have a look at Saitar as well then. That's, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. We've, we've covered so much and yet so little in, in an hour. I want to go on for another two hours, but I know we can't. So, so maybe we'll do it again sometime yeah. or whatever. But, uh, but this has been fantastic. Um, I've oh. I've loved I've loved listening to, to what you, kind of your passion. It just oh. comes through in everything you say, and I mean that's why I that's why I pinged you when you were talking at UCD. I, I, oh yeah, I, we're on the I same. Gotta, I gotta have Steph on the podcast. This is this is. <laughs> This is fabulous. <laughs> We're absolutely on the same wavelength. I mean, I, I it's definitely a natural connection. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so look, thank you so much for for taking the time. Um, this is definitely not the last time we're going to be speaking. Um, uh, no. <laughs> no, because no, no, I definitely want to follow up on Coil. Um, so, uh, so, so that's brilliant. Um, uh, last word from you. One thing to leave us with. What, what, what's one thing that we should remember or think about in terms of what you do and why you do it? Well, I think I'll. I hadn't planned this, but oh, I'm just wow. going to show you these babies that I just brought into the house. So these are a couple of flowers. These are gardenias. I wish you could smell these. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I think um, I'll just, th this will be the, the, the idea then. The reason that I, I the, grow the flowers and I bring them in and I put them next to my computer all the time is I do look for answers in nature. Yeah. Um, how does how does the natural world, how do plants grow and develop? How how does um, it, how do how do plants survive? Uh, I, I got to go to Iceland and, and watch the volcano ex create new land. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. And and 
all what looked like destruction, what looked so dangerous and horrible becomes life, becomes life. Yeah. And so how do those cycles continue? And then how can I help to uh, people to see them and then to learn how we can do the same thing, kind of break down our old ideas of who we are and others and the world around us and then create new ideas that that contribute to everyone's health. I love that because because my two word description of me is people gardener, which is absolutely (laughs) tied into that whole idea. Baker? Baker's in there too for me. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. Listen, we'll wrap it up. Thank you so much, Stephanie Dasha, for uh, for your time today. My pleasure, Joe.